This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. Hi, I'm Mike Campbell, artistic director and founder of Huff, the Halifax Urban Folk Festival. And this is HuffCast, a limited-run podcast showcasing the best and brightest artists coming to Huff this year. Please join me as I chat with artists performing this year's 10th anniversary edition. My guest today has quietly been making great music for over 20 years, the last 10 or so in his native Prince Edward Island. He may not be on everyone's radar, but he's certainly been on Huff's, having performed a number of times. Dennis Ellsworth is a treasure. Dennis? Hey. It's Campbell. Hey, buddy. How are you? Oh, I'm just swell. How are you? Good. I'm doing all right. Sweating my ass off. Oh. Is it warm on PEI today? Oh, my God. It's crazy. Huh. It's, I think it might it might break a temperature record today. It's supposed to go up to like 40 degrees or something. What? <laughs> Tell me about it. Ah. Now, are you up early today because you have a child now? Exactly. Yeah, seven, seven o'clock, quarter to seven, something like that. Right. It's like that every day. I That's what I've heard with the, the children. Yeah. Obviously, you're getting up early, but uh, what else has changed in your life as a result of that giant adult move you just made? Uh, I don't even know. I, one thing, I guess, is my, my uh, memory is garbage. <laughs> everything's just going going down a drain somewhere in my brain um pretty much the same life you know trying to stay stay in one piece we're going to take a little chat about life from the beginning of your career then we'll sort of move our way up through stuff to the present but um cool i was uh there was a couple of guys over at my place came over with megan scott last night from um from new brunswick and mm-hmm. uh, one of the guys is like a huge fan, huge fan of yours. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I knew all about the band. He said, uh, oh, you know, Dennis's stuff is great. Like, have you, have you ever heard of uh, his previous band, Haunted Hearts? So I started laughing because it was like, yes, of course I've heard of Haunted Hearts. But when I first met Dennis, he was in a band called the Rude Mechanicals in PEI <laughs> way back when. And uh, I think maybe the, f- I think we've discussed this before, but I think the first time I talked to you or interviewed you in the band was at the barn at UPEI or something opening for uh, Pursuit of Happiness. Is that accurate? No, it's close. It was, we were playing with the Watchmen ah. and a band called This Minor Tremble ah. from Ottawa. But to be honest with you, I still, I think that the first time that you ever interviewed me or us was for, was at a thing before Rude Mechanicals. It was something that happened at Myron's that was going on in Charlottetown in like 96 or 97. And I wore a blonde wig on, <laughs> on camera that. <laughs> so my memory isn't complete garbage, actually. I do remember those very important details. Wow. Uh, yeah, that was a long time ago. But so it's been over 20 years since, well, since the first time that you ever put me on a t- television. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Well, the Rude Mechanicals name I always loved. 
and it sort of told me something about you that you would have a Shakespearean reference involved in a band name. Yeah. Um, but uh, also clearly uh, indicates that you are a fan and a proponent of language. Mm-hmm. So lyrically, the band's always been interesting. I think that's one of the things that's always been a mainstay if you were particular style of writing is that, the, is that the lyrics are smart, at least, you know? <laughs> yeah. How, like, is that just something that, uh, I mean, I can't imagine how that could be, there could be a downside to that at all, but, you know, making sure that things are intelligent, such as part of what's in your musical bag of tricks, I guess, without dumbing shit down. You know, if you're writing a song, you've got a huge vocabulary to work with and you're going to use it. Yeah, well, you know, I don't know, I guess, for me, it's just important to to say something that isn't that isn't just drivel. I don't want to just write like pop music is you know how it is, but and some of it hits me in the right way on that day, but it's not something that I would ever really write, or not necessarily that I wouldn't write it, but I don't want to sing it. I don't want to. I don't want that to be what I sing. So I guess I just ever since I when I started writing lyrics, I guess I was in high school, I should have been paying attention to what was being taught to me, but I wasn't. I was scribbling into my books and and it was always just trying to find different combinations of words. I didn't even really know what I was doing at that point. I was just starting to experiment with it. And then over the years, I've, I, I've never really drifted from the, from that experiment. So it's kind of like a, how, how do I say something without sounding too, um, you know, d- too wordy, but also in a way that maybe somebody hasn't thought about it before or that, that it's just kind of got this fresh side to it. And I don't know if I pull it off, but mm. I, I certainly, ach- I, I try to achieve that because it's, uh, because I'm interested in language that way, mm. you know? And you've been in, uh, you've been in Charlottetown your whole life? Oh no, no, no! I I moved to Edmonton for a year. I uh, I moved to Toronto for almost seven years. Oh. so I kind of I ditched I ditched Charlottetown twice already. But I'm here now, and I I don't think I'll be going anywhere. I've always threatened to to move to Halifax um, just because I love Halifax, but it's so close that I almost kind of think, eh, maybe I don't need to move to Halifax. I can just stay in Charlottetown and I still get the benefits of Halifax. So, so you don't um, need to move to Halifax because it's close enough. I guess so. I don't know. I mean, now that I have a kid, and if my if I told my parents that I was going to take their only grandchild on Prince Edward <laughs> Island over to Halifax, <laughs> they'd probably slap me. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I can do that now unless something pulled me over there, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, that would be yeah. a huge problem if my parents or anything to go by. <laughs> Not that I've given them a grandchild, but my sister's taken up that freight. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess that's true. That Toronto thing, I did know that. But that was you sort of off my radar while you were over there. I think it was not until you came back that we sort of, you know. Reconnected, well, yeah. Well, because you were in PEI, it was a lot easier to run into each other. Exactly. But you also made a point of doing, you know, like moving around to record records in the past, at least. Oh yeah. Why? Why <laughs> is the? It, wasn't it possible to do that? To what you wanted to do in PEI or Halifax, or was it the people well, involved? Well, it's become it's become more possible now, and I think maybe at one point in time in Prince Edward Island it might have been possible, but I didn't. 
I didn't really look at those as serious options for some reason. And, um, you know, I, I've only made the last, my album that I sent you yesterday and the one before it were both made in the East coast. Those are the, those are the, well, aside from a couple of rude mechanicals albums, which I, I don't ever talk about anymore because <laughs> I just don't like them. Um, we've made, I've made every record outside of the East coast and some of them I made in the States. And I think the reason why I did that is because I, part of it is, uh, there's a few reasons, but some of it is the adventure of it. Uh, some of it is going into an unknown place and trying to, um, trying to let that influence the creativity, I guess, so that I'm not surrounded by things I know. Um, I guess maybe like an uncomfortable zone, I guess, but, um, I also think part of it was a lot of it was driven by the people I was making the records with, and that was where they were based. Uh, but I did seek them out for the previous reasons. And also because of the albums that they've made with other people like David Barbie, who works with the drive by truckers and uh, Josh Finlayson uh, from sky diggers. And actually it was, it was with, it, it was at the Carlton through you that I connected with Josh and we made that record together. So there's a it's just sort of a you know throw it throw it out there and see what comes back kind of thing with david barbie i just sent him an email and said i really like the way that drive by truckers records sound would you ever want to make a record together and he wrote back and said yeah and we've done two of them you know mm. so it's just kind of a you just take a chance see how it goes i did the same thing with the tune i did with gord downey you know and just threw an idea out there and it, and a positive response came back. So I don't know. Some of it is just that adventure, like take a shot in the dark and see what sticks. Yeah. That's kind of like how I book Huff. <laughs> yeah. Gets well, you know, you get, you get a mystery. There's a mystery element to it. You know, and yeah. the, when it, when you pull it off, you're like, well, that worked. That went well. You know, you yeah. didn't, you, I can't plan everything exactly the way I want it to go. Then it's just kind of boring. Mm. Um, did um, was it Josh's idea to record at the Hip Studios in Bath? It was actually, yeah, because uh, he knew that we could get that studio at a really good rate. Uh, he knew it was free at the time, because it was February. And when I talked to him about the conditions that I wanted this this session to have, which was isolation he knew that that would be perfect. Mm. I mean, we'd be, it was February in on Southern Ontario and rural Southern Ontario. And we knew, and we knew that that studio had a full kitchen and enough bedrooms that everybody could just live there. Yeah. So we went to, we went to that studio and we just kind of hung out for 10 days and made that record. And uh, that was awesome. That was really great. We, there was nothing else to do but record music and and uh, hang out. Yeah, and that's also giving you some sort of a you know a connection most people don't have to the hip. Um, yeah, those of for those folks who don't know, you've also got like a weekend warrior band 
fabulously rich, which I absolutely love the fact you decided to pick that particular song title for a band name. But um, <laughs> so you guys, you know, go out and murder it as the hip uh, on occasion, at least, and also help to raise money for the uh, Wenjack Foundation as well. Um, why do you like doing that so much? Why do I like doing that so much? Yeah, uh, well, it's clear when you go see the band that you're, you know, uh, when we've talked about it before, is we book the band and say, well, you know, it'd be nice if it was two sets, but you're always like, nah, straight go, two plus hours, just mm-hmm. like the hip would do it. Um, but when you guys are performing, you're clearly having a great time. You're not trying to imitate Gord Downing, but you certainly are channeling him somehow. I think the voices seem so incredibly similar. The band is great. You could make a living doing just that if you wanted to. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, you know, I've thought about it, but <laughs> no, I haven't actually. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. I mean, it's how could I not have fun doing that? There's a band that I love. And, uh, and, and, and knowing, you know, deep inside we're doing it justice. We're making people happy. You know, uh, it's a, it's a release for me in a way that I don't have to, you know, I'm not so, um, inside my own head about it. Like, I don't really, you you know, when you, when you do your own stuff, you kind of wonder half the time who likes this, you know, or does anybody like this, but with that band, you know, Everybody in this room is here because they love this music, and all we have to do is deliver it. So, it's it's I can be free in a way that I can't be when I when I do my own stuff. Mm. I guess. Well, that's so pretty it's, good. It's pretty pretty good way to explain it, I think. Yeah, and it's nice to see it's nice to see people smile. That's because you know my music doesn't always make people smile, but that music <laughs> does for sure. <laughs> Yeah, you can't lose, really. It's lovely being in a crowd watching people relive all that stuff. And, you know, stuff that everybody sings along every word to. I know. Although you also dip into the band's catalog, so there's lots of stuff that, you know, people don't generally hear when they think of the hip, which is also a treat for a lot of people, I think. Yeah, well, we try to balance the set out with stuff that we want to play and stuff that we know everybody wants to hear. Mm. Now, of all the entertainers that I've got coming this year, and I don't know how many times we've had you appear at Huff, um, but it's it's more than twice. <laughs> I think it's probably. More I think this might times. be five, four, or the might, fifth time. I think it might be. So you've had a chance to experience what happens with there. Um, what are your impressions of the festival overall? My impression is that it's an incredible time. First of all, uh, and then on a musical level, it's like you've never seen because. You know, you have uh, you bring in a a person and and you ask them to trust you to put together a band for them, and they've never played with these people before. And every time I've ever seen this happen, it's gone off like crazy. And everybody who comes to this festival from away, like uh, Norman from Teenage Fan Club or um, Alejandro, everybody just kind of thinks like, "Well, this is insane," but this is amazing. And I want to do this again someday, you know, that leaving that impression on those people gives me the impression that this is a, an amazing idea and it's always teetering on the edge of possible failure, but it never does. So <laughs> <laughs> it never fails because everybody that you, that you, that you bring in to do this is open to the idea and is talented enough to make it work. So as far as I'm concerned, it's like this 
the alchemy and, and the, the chemistry that's involved in it is crucial to it. Uh, and it makes for an experience that is so unique. I hope that the audience, when they're in the room, they realize just how special the show is. Because that's what it is. It's, it's a special take on a music festival. Uh, and I just love it. I think it's incredible. Well, it's a funny thing, you know, um, one of the things that we try and do, or one of the things that I try and explain to people who are always complaining about something, you know, the audience is complaining that the tickets cost too much money or that, you know, is it really that much? Oh, wow, $50 for a show or $60 for a show. And usually I find myself sitting in the opening songwriter circle on the opening night or before the opening songwriter circle on the opening night before the headliner. And uh, I'm shaking my head thinking, how can anybody think this show costs too much money? I just saw three of the best songwriters I'm ever going to see. And they all did four yeah, they've songs. Yeah, they've already got their money's worth. Right. In exactly. in, a, in an opening songwriter circle. Yeah, yeah, I know. And I think it's just when people see a number, they just think, oh, my God, how am I going to do that? But they don't have any hesitation when it's, uh, you know, a big show at the Metro Center or something like that. They want right. to go and see this world, this international successful artist. But you've just brought an internationally successful artist to a room that has a, what, 150 cap or 120 cap? And they get this... 105. <laughs> so they get this extremely intimate, unique experience that they would never get at the Metro Center. It's just not possible. It's a different show. It's You're going to leave with a great feeling at both events. But this one is just so uh, niche and it's just so cool. Well, you they thought- don't see that when they see the number. Yeah, you've sat in the third chair there in our opening songwriter circle for headlining nights. You know, what did it feel like when you're sitting there looking across at the other two people you're playing with and thinking, these guys don't know who I am, but I love them. Yeah, pretty much. That's exactly what I was. And then Alejandro asked me to take a solo on one of the songs. And I'm not a lead guitarist by any means, but somehow I magically pulled it off. And he smiled back at me and I went, well, this is pretty fucking cool. <laughs> I didn't realize that was going to happen. <laughs> you know, and then the other guy on stage, well, Adam, I think, was on stage with me one time too, Adam Baldwin, uh, oh, yeah. Mike O'Neill. I've done them with Mike O'Neill, who I I got to see play a long time ago in, uh, when I lived in Toronto and he had just put out his, his solo record after the Inbreds was kind of wrapping up. Um, and I And I was just thrilled. To see to get to share the stage with Mike O'Neill. I mean, he probably doesn't ever think that anybody thinks that, but that guy wrote some incredible songs. That, and I was just, you know, in awe of being on the stage with him. Um, so being in the in that environment with those other songwriters, first of all, it's humbling, and second of all, it, it always it always gives the audience an incredible experience for the start of the show for the, for the, you know, and for us as musicians up there too, where we, you know, Alejandro doesn't know me. I don't know Mike O'Neill or Mike O'Neill doesn't know me, but we all sit up there and we deliver this performance together. It brings, it brings a, an element of, uh, there, it puts a through line, I guess, through mm. us now for the rest of the time, which is great. Hmm. Well, we're always really proud of it, um, and that's one of the elements that I really like. 
is that option. What I, what I really want to try and do, which I think is going to be a little bit more complicated, we're going to have to find somebody for the money to help us do it, but uh, I've thought about trying to get these people to stay on for a few days and put them together, send them to White Point or something with local artists and maybe do some writing. Or PEI, for that matter, maybe. Fantastic idea. The collaboration side of things is, is one thing that does... I mean, it gets explored in a live setting, but it does the, the actual songwriting side of things for a, for a festival that's so heavily based on songwriting. Uh, it would make sense for that evolution, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there, you know, there are definitely some people that you could talk to that could help put that idea into motion, no doubt about it. Well, you would know a bunch of that stuff, so maybe you and I could get together during the festival and plot. I'd love to. See if we can make that happen. Absolutely. Because, you know, um, uh, this year's, well, Alejandro's coming back because... He's Alejandro, <laughs> and he always wanted to. Uh, so I knew that he would jump at the chance. Uh, but the big get this year is uh, obviously Matthew Sweet, mm-hmm. and uh, and and I know that you were you personally were quite distraught when you found out that the first show had sold out. Mm-hmm. So it's like, damn it, I want to go see Matthew Sweet. And then I was holding the olive branch out, not the olive branch, but the, you know, some branch of hope as opposed to peace <laughs> and saying, might do a second show, just might, just might. And then that one sold out too immediately. But um, the, 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 the more I listened to the new record last night, the more I'm thinking that your band opening for Matthew Sweet instead of the songwriter's circle on Labor Day is absolutely a perfect fit. I think it's going to be great. And you get to see Matthew Sweet. Exactly. Absolutely. Like that that I I didn't ever I didn't know if I was ever going to get to see Matthew Sweet play because he doesn't ever really come this this way. I don't know when the last time he played in Canada was. He's put out record after record, but he never comes to Canada. Um and this was going to be great. He got Mays playing guitar for him. Yeah, and not only is he playing guitar, but uh, but uh, Matthew's email. It's like, does the lead guitar player sing too? And he's thinking, I said to Matt, it's pretty clear he thinks you're the lead guitar player. So there you go. You better have your shit together. <laughs> Those oh, are some pretty memorable lead, lead guitar breaks. No kidding. That is going to be amazing. Uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, as far as Matthew Sweet goes. He's easily one of my bigger influences in terms of power pop songwriting. Um, you know, I put him in a category with a lot of people that are probably some of the best songwriters I've ever heard. And for you to be bringing him to Halifax to do this festival is just when you told me, I don't even know if I freaked out or not, but I, inside I was definitely freaking out. <laughs> yeah. Uh- and then well, I was away so- and I missed the ticket announcement and, and then I saw that it was sold out and I was like, oh, Jesus. And here we are. And now I'm playing the, sh- the second show and that, I can't wait. Well, I'm, uh, th- I've been thinking about this a lot too because, well, over the years, it's not the easiest thing to pull this festival off. Uh, for me, at least initially, um, you know, it was mostly about trying to string together some shows so that the Carlton would have some business for at least a week a year. And uh, uh, and then, you know, as the thing started to get a little traction, we moved it out. 
Uh, there's an awful lot of, you know, I love Halifax, but I kind of love it as a, you know, an annoying brother that you want to punch in the throat yeah. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what's wrong with this town? There's so many people here. Why can't we get anybody interested in anything? Uh, so I think at the end of the day, when I was, you know, like deciding whether I was even going to continue to do this, because uh, it is, it's just too much work. And there's too much stress, and you have to worry about, you know, this is a great act, but will anybody in Halifax actually pay attention? You know, will they, will anybody in Halifax actually buy a ticket for somebody they've never seen before, just based on the fact that they're playing this thing? The, you know, the support is good and all the rest of it. But at the end, I realized that it's important to get these artists to this part of the country, not for the audience, but for the other artists in the region. Mm-hmm. You think there's any truth to that, or I should give that up? Don't give it up. No way. I mean, the position I'm currently sitting in is a result of that dream of yours not dying. So I don't think that I, I know that it's frustrating to uh, to deal with with ticket sales these days, and in, in a Netflix world, and you know, even just with record sales in a streaming world it's the it's the way it is but i think if everybody just resigned themselves to go well it's not the way that it used to be and i don't Mm. think it works anymore then we'd all just be watching netflix you know we'd all just give up and i don't think that there's any need to give up because Last year, I I don't know. I don't think I was there two years ago. I think I was away at that time. Um, but last year, when I came in as a headliner and we did the the the, the Halifax Supergroup with Plaskett and Charles and Marsh, right? Um, that show, I had absolutely no idea how it was going to go, and that show sold out. And last year, I think you had a lot of sellouts, right? Yeah. For the first time in the festival, like you didn't, you didn't worry so much about the ticket sales of the shows. I don't know what this year is going. Like I know the Mass Suite shows are sold out. I saw a few other shows that are sold out, listed sold out. So people, I think, are are into this. You know, they want to come and see this music. It's always a struggle to or uh, to to believe that it's going to work. But I think the traction and the trajectory of the festival is indicating that it is going to work and that it does work. So don't give up. Absolutely not. I mean, you texted me a little while ago after you put on one of my records late at night, you might've been by yourself. I don't know, but I woke up to a text from you saying, don't give up. (laughs) That's basically what your message was. And I didn't. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, what it strikes me is... Because if we all give up, then what are we doing? You know, this is what we love to do. Don't give up. I think we should put that on a T-shirt, Dennis. I agree. If we all give up, then what are we doing? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you sent me a copy of your new record last night, which I love, by the way. Thank you. Um, Why don't you tell me a little bit about that project? Uh, Well, that record came together because uh, basically it all started with one song. Uh, I got a message from my publisher and asked me if I had a, a specific type of song. He wanted to pitch something to a movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had written this song and I had a voice memo on my iPhone. So I just sent him a copy of that. And he just said, okay, well, this isn't 
this isn't exactly what I'm looking for, but let's take a shot in the dark, book the studio, go in and, and produce this track. And I did. And um, I went in <clears throat> just one day, did one song, sent the track to him. He went to Japan for two months. And the day he landed in Canada, he got a message from the film or the music supervisor saying, we're going to take this song. And so my song, I Have No Idea, is in this movie, The New Romantic, that came out last year. And it did quite well for a, an independent film. Um, and after that happened, he just said, do that again. Go to the <laughs> studio once a month. I'll give you like license to just go and, and then send me the the invoice or whatever, or get the studio to send the invoice over. So I had this liberating um, year and a half of going to the studio and writing. Sometimes I wrote songs in the studio, like the first track on the album, which is also the title of the album, Common Senseless, was written in the studio because I showed up on the day I had booked and I didn't have anything written or I didn't have anything written that I wanted to record. So I just wrote a new song in the studio, but I have, I haven't had that luxury before. Mm. So this, uh, this whole recording experience was completely different from any other one that I'd ever done because usually I would book a producer and I would book a, a band and we would kind of work on an album for 10 days and then it right. would be over. <clears throat> and this way I got to, I got to think about things for a year and a half while I recorded them. In fact, I started making this record, before things change came out. Mm -hmm. So the, the album I had done with Joel it hadn't even come out yet. And I was already three or four songs into this album that's coming out in September, but I didn't know I was making an album at that time. I just started thinking about it halfway through, you know, feeling like the songs were sort of connected in some way. Um, and I did 17 songs. So there's four other ones that are sort of, kicking around in the background and I don't know what I'll do with those. Um, but these 13, I feel are the ones that kind of work together as a record. There's a lot of, uh, commentary on our current state of affairs. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the anxiety that people are feeling or the don't give ups kind of thing or the give ups, but you know, the record is, pretty upbeat considering. And, uh, I had a lot of fun making it. I did it in Charlottetown in a small studio called the Hill sound with a guy named Adam Grant. So I produced it. He engineered it. We mixed it together. I played all of the guitars. Uh, I played some drums on it, which I'd never done. I played some bass on it, which I'd never done. I played all the synths and the keys and all that stuff. And all we really did was we brought in a different drummer. So there's three different drummers on this album. Uh, Adam played a lot of the bass and the percussion. It was just sort of a two people, you know, mm -hmm. taking an opportunity to to work on something together. We did it once a month, and it was so liberating to record that way. Uh, and also, since then, I've produced two records for other people. So in that process... I got a lot of experience in producing, which I wa always wanted to have or to do, but I didn't feel like I had tried it enough on myself to know what I was doing. Right. So this process taught me that as well. So now I've got like, I don't know, I just got this unstoppable urge to 
make records for other people. So, but who makes records anymore? You know, <laughs> <laughs> what are we even talking about? We're going to have to translate that for people. I know. Well, it's good that you've got that because, you know, I don't think in my experience, certainly not recently, you haven't made a bad record. There's, you're one of the people who has every reason to continue doing what you're doing because you're good. Uh, there's a lot of people that aren't. Um, so, <laughs> you know, the, the people that aren't far outweigh the ones that are. So yeah. I'm happy that you're coming to the festival again. I'm happy that we found a way for you to get in to see Matthew Sweet, even if it's as the opening act. Amazing. Uh, Mays will beg him to produce a record for him and that kind of thing. Well, here's a funny happen. story. Before before this all happened, my publisher was saying to me, I got to get you in touch with Matthew Sweet because I think <laughs> you guys, I think you would make a great record together. Hmm. And I said, sure, go ahead. If you can pull that. I mean, he knows somebody who knows Matthew Sweet, maybe his manager or his booking agent right. or something like that. Um, or maybe it's his publisher. I actually don't remember. But all this happened about a year and a half ago because when I was doing PR for things changed and people were asking me, you know, what's this nineties, what are you influenced by from the nineties? Matthew sweet was always at the top of the list. Matthew sweet, Evan Dando, all that big star, which isn't the nineties, but it, I mean the replacements and everything that uh, was not kind of came out of that whole sound. But, uh, Matthew Sweet was at the top of the list, so my publisher took note of that and said, okay, well, if you love Matthew Sweet so much, we've got to get you guys together. So, And it, nothing happened, and I don't know if he even tried. Uh, he probably did, but you know, we kind of roll with the punches, so if nothing came back, then we didn't bother pursuing anything else. And now here we are a year later. I'm playing a show with Matthew Sweet, and I would like to talk to Matthew Sweet about doing a record somewhere <laughs> in Nebraska with him. Well, that can probably happen now, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for your time there, bud. And, My pleasure. Uh, I'm, gl I'm, I'm glad things are going well. Don't melt. Maybe go to the beach. Yeah, I, I don't know. The beach is too hot. Sand is too hot. And the water's <laughs> oh right there, and you're like, I can't walk to the water. The sand is too hot. Oh my god, this is crazy. I'll just make a. I'll just make like that carpet of towel, like a red carpet of towels, all the way down to the water. That'd I'll figure nice it out somehow. You. I'll be alive. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Dennis. My pleasure. I look forward to seeing you. Okay, me too, bud. Thanks. Okay. Cheers. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Dennis for taking the time to chat, Village Sound for making it happen, Joel Plaskett for the theme music, and thanks to you for giving it a listen. This was a Village Soundcast Network original production. 